This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of April 27, 2015, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 225 of Defender Radio. After speaking on behalf of our members, supporters, and all the fur-bearing animals of Canada as expert witnesses in a parliamentary committee last week, we wanted to share two important ways we can all represent for the animals. This week we'll hear from Camille Labchuk, animal rights lawyer extraordinaire and former Green Party candidate, to discuss the ins and outs of proportional representation, what it means for our country, and how we can get fair representation in our parliamentary system. Then we'll talk with Kimberly Pansarella, owner and designer of FTL Apparel, whose new line of Make Fur History shirts help everyone represent the animals and provide much-needed support to the fur bearers. Let's get started. When we want to talk the ins and outs of politics and how we can accomplish more for the animals, we often turn to Camille Labchuk. The Toronto lawyer is a former Green Party candidate with an in-depth knowledge of our political system, both its failings and its successes. And in our recent interview, Camille spoke about proportional representation, what it could mean for animal advocacy, and what it could mean for the future of our country. So we're talking about uh, proportional representation. Uh, This came up during an election, um, and I, I was working at the time as a journalist, and I very distinctly remember the question being so obtuse and ambiguous and it got voted down and it's actually very reminiscent of the the 98 Quebec separation ballots Uh, no one really knew what the question was so to to start why don't we just discuss what is proportional representation in our uh, or what would it be in our government okay so proportional representation is actually quite simple but it ensures that the composition of parliament or a legislator reflects the way that people actually voted. So if 36% of people voted for the Conservative Party, they would have 36% of the seats. Vice versa, or ditto for the Green Party, if 7% of people voted for the Green Party, 7% of the seats. So uh, right now in Parliament, there's about 308 seats. If the Green Party got 7%, they would have 21 seats in the House of Commons. Uh, And that's incredible. It's a much more fair system because people get what they actually voted for. It respects uh, the rights of voters who support smaller parties better, and it eliminates false majorities where a party like the Conservatives can get all or most of the seats in the House of Commons without most of the vote. Yeah, and that's it. The math is very confusing when you first look at it. Uh, and as many of us are fond of saying, you know, 36, 39% does not make a majority, yet somehow they have the majority. Um, now, off the top of your head, if you know, there, I believe, is one Green Party member of Parliament at the to- at uh, current time, uh, Elizabeth May. There's actually two. Are there two? There's Elizabeth May. Yeah, there's Elizabeth May, and then there's Bruce Heyer. Uh, he represents Thunder Bay Superior North, and Bruce was originally elected as an NDP MP in 2011, and uh, I guess the first time in 2008. Uh, Bruce left the NDP because they were trying to tell him how to vote on important issues that, that mattered to his constituents. And he sat as an independent for quite some time, and he later joined the Green Party because the Green Party is very committed to uh, Member of Parliament 
independence and and respecting the democratic wishes of of citizens. So there's now two Green MPs. That is wonderful to know. I like the Green Party. And I should note at this moment that the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals does not or will not endorse any political party. Moving on. Um, And and my personal uh, uh, political preferences, as you know, and as many people now know, is uh, aligned with the Green Party of Canada. And as a Green Party of Canada former candidate, what is it like to know that even though your party is capturing as much as 10% of the popular vote, you are getting the absolute bare, you're getting what, I think it's less than 1% of the seats. Fundamentally, it leaves me with a deep sense of tremendous unfairness, uh, you know, not because I can't get elected myself, but because the voters who want to see more Green MPs in Parliament are getting, frankly, screwed over. Uh, First past the post was developed in the 11th century. We thought the earth was flat in the 11th century, and we've, we've uh, awoken up to science and changed much about how we do things since then, but we still saddled ourselves with this outdated voting system. It's really just Canada, the U.S., and the U.K., all the Western democracies in the world that still use this, this outdated system. Everyone else uses some form of proportional representation or a system that's much more fair, and we say it's time to move forward in that direction for Canada. And I, I have to ask, uh, being a bit of devil's advocate, which is one of my favorite jobs, um, if we switch to proportional representation, and we'll continue to use the Green Party as the example, uh, because they are, frankly, the ones who would benefit most from proportional representation at this time uh, as a political party. So if they get 10% of the popular vote, but only one member wins a seat, how are those other seats divided? Is there some kind of secondary election system or are they appointed by the party? Sure. Well, there's a number of different models of proportional representation. The one that I personally like the best and many political scientists agree is called mixed member proportional representation. And that's a system where usually about two thirds of the seats in parliament would be elected under the traditional first past the post method. So uh, you contest the riding, and the person who gets the most votes in that riding wins. But then the remaining third seats are, are used as sort of a top-up mechanism. So uh, you look at the overall composition of parliament, and you say, hey, well, the Green Party only elected one MP, but they did get 10% of the overall vote. So that means we have to add 29 MPs from the list to the Green Party's caucus to top that up and make it fair and proportional. So the benefit for citizens is that they actually get two votes. They get to vote locally for who they want to be their MP and have a strong local representative. And that may not be the same party that they, they cast their national ballot for. So they can vote for somebody locally and then they can vote for the party that they want to see uh, with a particular seat in parliament. So it really benefits both the voters uh, and parliamentarians. Yeah, and I can attest personally to that. Uh, when I lived in uh, the suburbs of Toronto, there was a member of parliament that I, I or a member of provincial parliament, actually, who I greatly liked and respected and loved what he did for the community, but he belonged to a party I didn't support. And it was always the state of inner conflict for me come election time of, do I support the individual I like, or do I support the party with the policies who are most aligned with my belief system? Uh, and it was very, very uncomfortable at times, Zach, to be fair. Um, 
And uh, I, yeah, and that's that's the beauty of a system like this is people don't have to choose between a person and their party. They can vote for somebody whose politics they might not agree with, but who is definitely a great constituency MP. And continuing on the the chain of uh, uh, doubles advocacy, and this is something that comes up in debates on proportional representation. Um, wouldn't we end up with a completely ineffective parliament by having all of these different parties represented rather than one, for the lack of a better term, ruling party? Right. Well, uh, the practice in, in countries and what ends up happening uh, in countries like New Zealand, in countries like Scotland or Germany that use proportional systems like MMP, they have more parties uh, represented more fairly in their in their governments. Uh, in their their um, elected chambers, uh, but they find that the proportional results, where everybody gets what they voted for, is actually much more conducive to cooperation. So parties are more likely to work together to accomplish things. The atmosphere is less poisoned. Uh, parties sometimes will take less polarizing positions because they want to be able to appeal to voters from other parties. And they really recognize the value of working together more rather than uh, working against each other. And really, the system, the system kind of forces them into cooperation. And in the end, it's, uh, it's the voters who win. And in fact, very interestingly, perhaps for your listeners, is that studies have shown in countries with fair proportional voting systems, the environmental outcomes for those countries are, are much better. That, that, to me, makes a great deal of sense because it provides the opportunity for true open debate. And that's something you and I have talked about earlier today. Um, and right now, under the auspices of a majority conservative government, we get a little bit of time for our MPs and other parties to question the government. But there's really not an opportunity to push the governments into uh, issues that are of clear interest to the majority of people, such as trophy hunting, uh, animal agriculture, water sustainable usage, all of these other environmental related issues simply get ignored because the conservative majority does not want to deal with them. Um, and that's, that's the danger of a false majority, is that it ignores the will of most of the people in Canada who didn't vote for the conservatives to be their government. Are there any studies indicating how proportional representation systems may impact voter turnout at election time? Right. Yeah, there, there's some evidence that countries with proportional representation do have uh, stronger turnouts. And certainly when we look at Canada, we've seen voter turnout decline very steadily over the past uh, 20, 30 years. It's now below 60% in some cases. Uh, this is a huge problem for democracy. If people aren't voting, it's because democracy is sick and democracy is in crisis in Canada. And proportional representation isn't a panacea. But it does really do a lot to address some of the reasons that people are so turned off from politics, like the poisoned, hyperpartisan atmosphere, and the sense that it doesn't really matter who you vote for because uh, you're you're going to end up with a false majority anyway. Yeah, and it is very frustrating to watch question uh, question period or any proceedings in the House of Commons. It so often turns into the Conservatives said this and that's a problem, or the Liberals said that and that's a problem, but nothing's actually done or. No, the, to use an uh, inappropriate phrase, the meat of issues is very rarely debated in a true fashion. Um, and I, I would think that proportional representation, where you have that much more mixed representation, where politicians have to work harder to gain voter trust and to gain votes, would, would really go a long way to solving that. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I think false majorities are one of the most problematic aspects of, of the system right now. You're giving a party all of the power without getting a majority mandate from the people. And under a proportional system, two parties could cooperate and form a coalition to govern together. And that's the kind of situation where you see people's actual viewpoints being much uh, being treated with much more respect. And you're seeing not simply one party with a monopoly and all the power, but more parties working together and representing all of those viewpoints. And uh, to, to provide fairness through the interview, we know the Green Party supports proportional representation, and we know the Conservative Party thinks it is the devil incarnate. What about the other major parties? Uh, and in that, I'd include the NDP, the Liberals, and we have to look at some of the family value parties as well because they do capture 2 to 3% of the popular vote. Uh, do you know where these other parties stand on the concept? Yeah, the NDP has always been very firm that it supports proportional representation and they've committed to uh, bringing it in if we form the next government. Uh, the Liberals have been lukewarm on the idea. They've uh, never explicitly supported proportional representation, although I know a number of their MPs do. Uh, quite frankly, I suspect the Liberals believe at some point it will be their turn for another false majority, just as, as they kind of uh, held throughout the 90s. So <laughs> I, you know, I'm fearful that they're, they're just kind of biding their time and waiting for the system to once again work in their favor, even if it's not working right now. Uh, but I know the Greens, the NDP, very committed um, to bringing in proportional representation and working with the Liberals to make that happen. And I think there's tremendous opportunity there for grassroots liberals to reach out to their party and say, hey, listen, this is a necessary democratic reform. Absolutely. And the, the liberals are in such a state of rebirth right now, um, you know, by, by electing uh, uh, Justin Trudeau as their new young leader, despite the fact that many of the Liberal Party cronies are complaining about him. Uh, and despite whatever anyone may think of him, they are in this sort of state of flux from going from the ruling strong majority to the third place party after the last election. Um, so what advice do you give to people? I mean, I personally, you, you know, my involvement in politics, uh, but what can most other people be doing, uh, to sort of try and push to get proportional representation on the table for the future of our country? Well, one thing that, that voters can do is join Fair Vote Canada. They're an excellent advocacy organization that pushes for proportional representation. Uh, join Fair Vote, give them support for these initiatives. Reach out to your member of parliament and to the candidates in your riding. Tell them that you want proportional representation and that your support, if any of them, is conditional on that happening. Uh, this is especially important when it comes to the Liberals who have not committed to proportional representation and being quite lukewarm to the idea. Uh, make it an issue at debate. The election is coming up. Uh, come September, we'll be into the writ period. And I encourage everyone to go out to debates in their writings and, and get this question asked and make it into a local issue. Perfect. And of course, we need people to go out and vote regardless of their views or politics. If we don't vote, we don't get to complain. That's the new rule. <laughs> That's a good one. To get in touch with Camille, follow the links on this week's FurBearDefenders.com podcast blog. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. I am Brad Gates, owner of Gates Wildlife Control. Do you have raccoons or squirrels living in your attic? Did you know that the hole in your roof is letting water in? Your insulation is being ruined and they could be chewing on your electrical wiring? Protect your biggest investment. We will come to your house and provide you with a no obligation free estimate. 
please visit our website at gateswildlifecontrol.com or dial 416-750-9453. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing keystone species. Beaver dams help clean water, promote songbird diversity, encourage fish populations, and create better soil and a cleaner environment. Beavers are good for Canada, but will we be good to them? Find out more at furbearerdefenders.com and give a damn about beavers. This is Defender Radio. Sometimes the best way to represent is with fashion. And emerging ethical designer Kimberly Pantsarella is helping all of our supporters do that. FTLA Apparel is now offering a special Make Fur History line of items for men and women. And the best part is, a portion of the proceeds from every sale of these products comes back to our Make Fur History campaign. Kimberly recently joined Defender Radio to discuss her background, why she got into ethical fashion, and why she wants to help represent the animals and make fur history. So tell me about yourself. We're, uh, you're call, uh, we're talking, you're in Massachusetts somewhere, and uh, you're, you're making clothes. That, that's the extent of my knowledge. So di- who are you and what do you do? My name, obviously, Kimberly Swan Panzarella. Um, I, I launched my line of apparel, FTLA apparel, which stands for For the Love of Animals Apparel, uh, just about a year ago. And... Um, Prior to that, I, I actually, my, my expertise is in you know, web development, programming, graphic design. I'm a pretty big geek. And, um, you know, that was, you know, my first round of college, I uh, majored in computer information systems. Um, and then I had gone back for law enforcement in hopes of, my, my original hope was to become a humane law enforcement officer. But, uh, but as, you know, um, but as time progressed and as I uh, started, you know, taking a different course, one of the courses I took was my American Policing course. And in that course, I, I created a public service announcement. And I did my public service announcement on animal cruelty facts and prevention. And um, it was a brochure, like multiple page of the brochure, uh, multiple page brochure. And, you know, I do a lot of research because it's just in my nature. And, uh, you know, it was at that point where I realized that the, the the pain and torment that these animals are subjected to was just something I I couldn't deal with on a face to face you know daily basis. And um, you know I've always loved animals, and you know I've always been a bit of a geek, but I've always loved fashion. And uh, FTLA apparel kind of it, it became it was an idea that just kind of blossomed. I just thought you know I'm gonna I'm gonna do this and. If, if people don't like it or if it doesn't, you know, if it just doesn't take off, well, at least I'll have my own gear, you know what I mean? And um, it, it's been really, really exciting. And, and honestly, if I had five years ago, I never would have 
thought that this is where I would be or what, what I'd be doing, but it's, it's something I truly, truly love. To me, it sounds kind of like you could hack into people's computers, beat them up on the streets, and then leave them looking better than they were with some new digs. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I suppose you could say that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that's, well, that's kind of in a nutshell. <laughs> now, I mean, that's it's a very diverse background. How did all of that, uh, all of those different bits of training and experience play into how you're doing your fashion now? Because it's not just that you're, you're creating T-shirts. You're ethically sourcing them. You're hand screening them. So how did all of that sort of come together? You know, uh, like you said, it's based on just the diverse background and education and my, my experience in, in so many different fields, but also, um, you know, being an animal advocate and, um, you know, living compassionately, loving all animals and, and all, you know, living beings in general. And um, I just, like I said, it was, a, it was a thought. And once I get something in my head and it's just, it just, it just started working and I wanted everything to be obviously cruelty free, fur free, you know, that's just, there, there's no need for fur in this world. There's no need for a lot of things in this world, but, um, you know, it's just animals need us. They need our voice. And, and when I created my line, it was based on what I would like to wear, you know, style wise but also, you know, designs that are, are different than the traditional, like you said, T-shirt, um, T-shirt companies where they print, you know, quirky little, you know, I want to take a nap and I want to eat and then I want to rescue animals or something like that. You know, I, 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 I see that a lot, but I, I try to stay away from that. And, and no disrespect because I'm like, you know, that's great. But for me, um, I really wanted to stand apart. And uh, that's why the tagline for FTLA Apparel is making a literal fashion statement because that's really what it's about is, uh, you know, wearing comfortable um, female, the female styles that I carry, they make you feel sexy, but they also have that statement. They make that statement. And uh, and they do, they they cause a lot of people to spark up conversations, you know, when they're walking by some of my customers, I hear stories all the time, you know, uh, it gives them the opportunity to sort of educate people, which is obviously a, a huge part of being an advocate, you know, education and awareness. And, um, you know, FTLA apparel is just, it's, some, it's a combination of just everything that I'm passionate about. Animals, you know, animals is the biggest factor, of course. Um, you know, cruelty to be free fashion and, and, you know, animal advocacy. So really that's what it's all about. How did you then go? I mean, it's so you've you've got your product line. You're making these these very lovely shirts and accessories, and you've decided that you want to help animals. You've you've kind of got all of these ideas now. How did you take the first step into working with nonprofits? Uh, in addition to the fur bears, uh, I I've noticed I think there's a beagle rescue on here uh, and a few others. Beagle yeah, so Freedom Project. How did you make the decision to start working with nonprofits in that way? Well, um, you know, what, again, it was part of my initial concept from for building my my line. I, I wanted to be able to give back uh, to the animals, really, and and support genuine causes that are truly that I'm truly passionate about. And um, 
you know, the Beagle Freedom Project specifically, they, they work to not only end animal testing in laboratories in general, but to uh, rehome the, the animals, most of them are beagles, because those are the most frequently used dogs in uh, laboratories, um, but they rehome them. And, you know, all of, all of these legitimate causes, they, they cost a lot of money. But, um, you know, I did start off by sort of doing, you know, working with local friends and rescues and shelters and helping in any way I could. And, and I still do. I still work with smaller local uh, wildlife refuge, um, rehabilitators and things of that nature and, and try to help raise money for them, you know, because it, it's costly, and it, but it's necessary because animals need, they need these people. They need, uh, they need us. So it just kind of went from being, you know, small, working with, you know, donating to small organizations and rescues and shelters around here. And then it, and I just kind of thought, you know, I wanted to broaden the horizons and really just get involved with some hardcore causes that I really, really love. And is that how you, uh, you found your way to us, the fur bears? You know, I was trying to think of that earlier, um, how I exactly found you guys. And I can't remember if it was um, after watching, you know, The Ghost in Our Machine or reading Joanne MacArthur's book, uh, We Animals, or, you know, like I said, I do a lot of research, but one way or another, something led me to you guys. And, um, you know, Canada in general, obviously, there there's a lot of, uh, a lot of animal issues, animal welfare issues up there, but there are also so many passionate people up there working for animals and the Canadian government seems to kind of, you know, they're sort of slow in making progress. But when I did find you guys, um, I liked everything about obviously the Make for History campaign because I just think fur is just not fashion, period. Um, there's just no need for it. But also, you know, the work that you do for other wildlife, you know, trying to ban traps and finding, you know, humane ways to relocate what people may consider pests or whatever, which I would be glad to have a beaver in my backyard. Like, I love animals, you know what I mean? But, um, you know, I don't know how I first found you, but I, I remember um, just thinking, you know, I really, really like this. I love this cause. It's great. And at that point, um, it was a few months ago, I just shot an email to um, Leslie and you know, sort of said, hey, this is me, this is what I do, and I love what you guys are doing, and I'd love to collaborate. And, um, you know, I think maybe a month or so after I had sent her the email, I heard back from her, and then just from there, it, it uh, she and I just kind of corresponded. I, you know, thought up my own designs. Like I said, I, I really like to stick to my own graphic designs and come up with my own, you know, my own unique and original designs and uh, and that's where we are right now today with with that but um hopefully in the future it, i just continue to expand because especially because there's so many there are so many causes out there um and and they again they all cost money and I, i'd love to help as many organizations as i possibly can but obviously you know you know <laughs> can only do so much at at one time, but, um, you know, that's what it's all about. Well, and, 
Yeah, and we absolutely love the designs <laughs> to make for history that you've created with the little fox and tail and the, <laughs> the camo concept. Yeah, I love that. Them. I usually never like camo was always something that kind of triggered that whole hunting thing in my head. But when I was mm -hmm. thinking of this, when I was thinking of you know the concept for the make for history um, gear, it it just kind of it just jumped in my brain. I thought, you know what, this is really gonna this goes great with it because it's sort of like you know. Hey, you know, hunters usually wear that, but look, we're wearing it. Make our history stop hunting animals for their fur or trapping them. You know, I just thought it came, you know, it just fit really well together. So I'm glad you love it. Yeah, and uh, and people who are interested in seeing more of your designs or want to get uh, get involved with uh, with FTLA apparel, um, what what should they be looking at? Where can they go? They can go to ftlaapparel.com. Or, of course, they can email me directly at kim at stlaapparel.com. Um, I'm on Facebook, as you know, um, Twitter, <laughs> Instagram. I'm really working. I mean, I, I'm, I'm doing, I do everything myself, as, as we had previously discussed. Um, so I'm sort of <laughs> my own, you know, network. I do all the networking, social marketing, and, uh, you know, all my graphic designs and all this, you know, hand screen printing and so it, it's it's uh it's just me right now which i'm cool with i love it i love what i do but um yeah so you could kind of pretty much find me all over the place you know um if you google ftla apparel you'll see me at the top you know it should pop right up um but yeah for, or for the love of animals apparel Get your Make for History gear from FTLA Apparel by following the links on this week's FurBearDefenders.com podcast blog. That's all the time we have for this week, folks. I'd like to thank our guests, as well as Brad Gates of AAA Gates Wildlife Control, for his ongoing support of this program. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.